Welcome to Pastor Bill's Classroom. We are in our study of the Book of Romans, Lesson 4, entitled, The Trinity. Hello, welcome back to our midweek study. We have begun a uh, study in the Book of Romans, and we're in chapter 1, and we've not made it through the end of, we've not made it through verse 4. We're not going to do it again today, because there's just a lot for us to consider in there. So, got a Bible with you? If you don't, pause this and go get one. Find one on your phone. Uh, your iPad, your laptop, your computer, something. We need to be in the Scriptures. You need to see the Scriptures. You need to hear them, and you need to experience them yourself. God is speaking to each of us through that. This is His communication system, so we trust Him for that. Let's uh, pray, and then we're going to start. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You have decided in Your uh, sovereignty to communicate with us. You could have left us in the dark, and You could have left us to ourselves. You could allow us to head over the cliff of sin and um, punishment that we deserve, but you did not. You intervened, uh, first through your word and your commandments, and then in your person uh, by becoming one of us so that you could pay for our sins and offer us salvation. And So God, we just want to thank you for that. We thank you, God, that because you have gone to these great extents that we can know for certain uh, that you're trying to speak to us and uh, that we can understand you. Uh, and that we can know what you want for our lives. And so trusting that, God, we press forward in your word now. We ask your blessings over it in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans chapter 1, we're going to be in verses 1 through 4, but before we do that, uh, let's, let's consider a couple of things. First of all, 3,500 years ago, uh, there was an arrogant king of Egypt who asked an 80-year-old Jew by the name of Moses uh, this question. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? that I shall obey his voice and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and besides, I will not let Israel go. Who is the Lord that I shall obey his voice? That's, by the way, the question of the world. That's, if, you, if you want a definition of why am I here, what does the church do, what is the purpose of a Christian, why did we go to heaven we accept Christ as personal Savior? It's because you're responsible to answer that question of the world. By the way you live, by the things that you teach, by the direction that you go, by the Lord that you serve. We, the world is, we are obligated to the world to answer that question. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? So 3,500 years ago happened to, between uh, Pharaoh and Moses. A thousand years later, uh, another arrogant king asked three young Jewish boys sort of a similar question. Daniel 3. If you do not worship, here's King Nebuchadnezzar speaking to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego about worshiping this idol that he's created. If you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning fire and furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Again, a similar question. Similar person. Similar question being asked, who is God? Who is this God? Of course, both of these kings found out pretty quickly uh, who he is. And that he was a God who's far above anything that they could possibly uh, ever imagine. And the same is going to be true for our world. They're not thinking about God, even though they use the name. They're thinking about something else. They, they've created a God in their own minds. Our responsibility is to portray the real God, the God of the Bible who created the heavens and the earth and to whom every person will answer someday. Who is the Lord? Who is God? We're going to explore the answer to this question by examining one of the most fundamental, yet one of the most difficult doctrines of the nature of God, very simply, that he is triune in nature. Trinity, we use that word. 
Trinity in nature. We're going to be finding that Trinity here uh, demonstrated to us in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Paul, verse 1, a bondservant of Christ. Remember, that's so critical. What is the Christian life? It's being a bondservant to God. To live the Christian life. Not, that's not the way you become a Christian. You become a Christian by repenting and accepting Christ as your personal Savior. But a Christian life is lived as a bondservant. I don't own myself. I don't call the shots. I don't have goals that I create outside of the master's goals for me. That's the Christian life. People have a hard time understanding what, the, what is the Christian life? How do I live the Christian life? As a bondservant. As a bondservant. Is that what you're doing? Have you checked with the master today? Did that check in? What, what would you have me do? Lord and Savior, what would you have me do? I belong to you. You call the shots. Paul, a bondservant of Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. We already have two persons of the Trinity here, right? God the Father, God the Son, who he promised. God promised that he would send his Son beforehand through the prophets in his holy scriptures concerning his Son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of her holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. So notice it in this, it's just all mixed together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This, this is, by the way, the way we find them uh, in the Scriptures, both Old and New Testament. We don't find them explained. We don't find the Trinity in an explanation form. Here's the reason why God is Trinity. Here's how God is Trinity. Those answers, and even not, not to mention those questions, do not exist in your scriptures. So, so from the onset, let me just simply say this. Since God didn't bother to explain himself, other than just to demonstrate himself as Trinity, can, can you see how we're spinning our wheels trying to explain what God is? How, how are you going to explain it? Since God didn't think that he could explain it to us in a way that we would understand, because right? I don't know what you saw when you saw the the beginning of this, the title, you know, the Trinity, you know, Romans, the, the Trinity, uh, part four in our study uh, of, of Romans. But the, the Trinity thinks, of, oh, Pastor Bill's going to bring us a great insight into what the Trinity is. Um, I, 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 yeah, I am, because I'm going to teach you exactly what the Scriptures say, and the Scripture doesn't tell us how God is Trinity. So if God doesn't feel like he, he can explain it to us in a way that we can understand. Why would I be able to explain it to you? Or what makes you think you're capable, or am I, that I have a mind capable of communicating to you, and you have a mind capable of, of receiving that? So, so, so I'm not just saying a caveat here at the beginning, you know, turn it off. Uh, I think I have some things to say to you that are going to be very, uh, very instructive, but, but let me just say that to begin with. Now we're going to go off into teaching on the Trinity and what the Trinity is, when the Bible, in fact, does not. In fact, the Bible doesn't even use the word Trinity. The Bible consistently demonstrates God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as, as Trinity in nature. We, we use the word because we, we have to have some kind of word to be able to explain this, but it, but it doesn't explain necessarily uh, anything. So this is a strange concept for our feeble minds, because there is only one God, and yet within that one God, there are three persons, distinct and yet inseparable. How do you explain that? You don't. You, you can't. 
and again, without any further explanation, let me just simply say, if your God is not that God, three in one, distinct and yet inseparable, you do not have the God of the Bible. You, you've invented a God. That God does not exist. He's not the God you're going to answer to. He's not the God that created all things. He's not the God who saves you and indwells you. He's not. He's not. The God of the Bible is a, is a trinity in nature. Three in one. Three in one. And we find this all over the place. A picture, the same picture of God that we see here in Romans chapter 1 is, shows up all over the place in Scripture. Here, here's one of them. The, the baptism of Jesus. Have you ever considered that? Luke chapter 3, 21 and 22. Jesus also was baptized, God the Son, right? And while he prayed, the heavens were open and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, descended in bodily form like a dove upon him and a voice from heaven. So we got God the Son on the earth with God the Holy Spirit on his shoulder and God the Father in heaven saying, you are my beloved Son and you I am well pleased. Again, notice there's no explanation of how the Trinity works, just simply a presentation of this is who God is. This is who God is. Distinct persons, yes. Inseparable, absolutely. Pay attention. John chapter 15, verse 23, Jesus speaking. He who hates me hates my Father also. You, they, you take them or you leave them together. Another spot, Matthew 10. He who receives me receives him who sent me. So you have these groups banned around this whole idea, we're not sure who Jesus is, but we're all about God. Well, no, you're not. Because that God doesn't exist. The God of the Bible, the real God, is a God who is all or nothing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you do not receive one of the Trinity, you do not receive any of them. You've exempted yourself uh, from them. Uh, not just one or two places. We're in a bunch of places in Scripture. He rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Mark it carefully. Mark it carefully. Jesus doesn't go to explain how. How that is so, he just says it is. Take it or leave it. And speaking of the Holy Spirit, Matthew 12. Wow, what, what sobering words are these? Every sin and blasphemy be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit. Because he's God, you see. Don't, don't mess with that. Will not be forgiven men. And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus speaking about himself. It will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or in the age to come. That is final. It is final. So you can't reject one of the Trinity without rejecting all of the Trinity. They are distinct, and yet they are inseparable. Uh, they are accepted or rejected together. Uh, you know, and as, as an example, Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe in Jesus, that Jesus is God. They don't believe that the Holy Spirit is God. So guess what? They don't have the real God. And they teach this. And they push this hard. And I'll just say, I wouldn't want to be them. Lying about the real God? Because that's what they're doing. So flee from the notion that there are three gods. It's imperative that we take it as three and one, the $10,000 question is, how is three ever one? Uh, Daniel Webster, famous, you know, Webster's Dictionary, right? He was famously accosted for believing firmly in the Trinity, and he was asked this question, how can a man with your mental caliber believe that three ever equals one? And he, he, gave it, he gave, I think, a very important answer. Here, here it is. He says, I do not pretend to fully understand the arithmetic of heaven. 
See, that's part of our problem. We, we come saying, we're going to understand what the Trinity is. No, you're not. You, you don't do good at the arithmetic of earth. I mean, no offense. None of us are perfect. Uh, why, why would we ever think we would be able to comprehend the arithmetic of heaven, while living on earth at least? You're not. That's the reason that God, uh, uh, in my opinion, why God doesn't go to any lengths at all to explain the Trinity to us. He just presents himself that way. This is me. This is us. We are one. Three in one. We will never think about it this way. Never be able to take the natural and explain the supernatural. All we can do is explain from the natural position. I can give you natural illustrations that may in some way point to the supernatural, but will they fully, fully explain it? No! They can't, by definition. Natural and supernatural are separate things. They're separate. How can we take the finite and explain the infinite? The material world and explain the immaterial things. That does not make any sense. We're not going to be able to do it. So, so how, how do we come to know God? Oh, we come to know him by supernatural experiences. We accept him as personal savior and are baptized and brought into, his, uh, into, into, his, into the body of Christ through the Holy Spirit. We, we come to experience each person of the Trinity as God. God the Father who created all things, of whom all things are returning. God the, the Son who became one of us so that he could die in our place. But the infinite God taking the place of an almost infinite number of sin and sinners. And we come to know God the Holy Spirit by His indwelling and His empowering of us and, and enabling of us to be all the things, and Him placing us into the body of Christ. Only God can do that. And that's who the Holy Spirit is. So, so we come to know them by faith, first of all, and then by experience. I mean, to, to explain to a person who is unsaved or unconverted uh, the Trinity is the same as trying to explain light to a blind person. You, you can't explain it to them. On what level of their experience are they going to be able to comprehend what light is if they're blinded? They can't see. So, so it's impossible. It, it, we come to know him by experience, but that experience comes from salvation. And salvation isn't just a comprehension. It's an application of the truth. And not until we've applied that truth. God is who he is, and God will rescue all the persons who repent of their sins and turn to Christ. Not until we apply that truth. I don't have to know that truth. Not until we apply that truth are, are we going to be able to go any further into any more truth, comprehend anything else, experience anything else of the truth uh, that God has available to us. The Trinity is what it is. And it's no new thing. It, it's not just a New Testament thing. Let me show you. One of the best verses, actually, in the Bible that teaches us about the Trinity is in the Old Testament. Well, Jesus doesn't show up in the Old Testament. Oh, yes, he does. Pay careful attention. Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 6. Hear, O Israel, the great commandment. The, the Shema of Israel. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu, that's the way they say it in Hebrew. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Jehovah's Witnesses use this verse to say, see, Jesus isn't God, because there's only one God. They demonstrate their ignorance when they do that. Because this is one of the best verses to demonstrate not the way they teach it, 
but the Trinity. These verses seem to contradict the doctrine of the Trinity, but in fact, they are the best, some of the best. The word one here in the Hebrew is not a word of one in the sense of isolation or singularity. It is the word one in the sense of unity. This exact same word here in Deuteronomy 6 is the same word. By the way, we're trying to understand the math of heaven, if you will, the arithmetic of heaven, the arithmetic of the Trinity. How does three equal one? Well, there's another math equation for us that we've had, but we have a personal experience with it if you're married, and it's this one, Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That's the exact same word, one, that it uses back there in Deuteronomy for God. Now, obviously, a man and a woman, are they distinct people? Of course they are. But, but, but God's desire for marriage is that, yeah, they remain distinct, and yet they remain inseparable. That's exactly what you have in the Trinity. Exactly. Again, this is just rudimentary explanation. We're, we're using the material to explain the immaterial, the finite to explain the infinite. So, so it's going to fall short somewhere. But this is an excellent explanation. An excellent description. So God everywhere in the Old Testament shows up as Trinity, if you're careful to read it. The word God... 99% of the time in the Old Testament is the word Elohim, which, by the way, is a plural word. The, the, the singular of that word is the word El. But Elohim is a plural word. Why does God, in His Word, inspired by His Spirit, one of the Trinity, speak of Himself and allow others to speak of Himself as a plural if, in fact, He's not? Again, there's not three gods, but there are three who are one God. Why, why does God, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing through the hands of Moses in Genesis chapter 1, uh, why does he say, let us make man in our image? Is he having like a senior moment? Not realizing, wait a minute, there's just one of us here. Oh no, there's three of them. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And by the way, what did he create? Humanity, and what are we? We're Trinity in nature. Body, soul, and spirit. We're created in the image of God. Create the image of Him, and, and don't just look at your physical body and say, well, God must have hands and feet and, and head and ears and, I don't know, hair and stuff, legs. And, and I'm not saying that's not necessarily a part of it. I say it's way more than that. God isn't just physical. In fact, God's way more than physical, uh, to be sure. Let us make man in our image. You just, I don't know, slip of the tongue, something there, or did He really mean it? That we're commanded to love God. We Back to that. Uh, back, to, back to our verse there in Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Deut Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God, right? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. We're commanded to love God for who He is, not for who we want Him to be, not for who we were taught He was. And you come up with the concept of God and somehow God is supposed to fit Himself into that concept? No! You fit yourself into God's concept. God presents Himself as Trinity. He doesn't explain it. This is who I am. This is who I am. Again, we approach God by faith first. And then by our faith comes knowledge. Not the other way around. You're waiting for knowledge before you can have faith. You're going to be waiting a long time, probably forever. Maybe forever. Hope not. But, but part of loving Him properly is accepting Him for who He is in His essence. And in His essence, He is the Trinity. He is triune in nature. So back to the questions of the kings, right? We started that. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? 
Again, our responsibility is to represent the real God to this world. To as much as within our power, and as God so wills and oversees that, communicate to the world who God is. Whether they obey him or not, just like Pharaoh, he had a choice to make and he made the wrong one. Who, who is God? Who is the God that shall deliver you? King Nebuchadnezzar asked these three young Jewish men, well, they need to know. They have, they have, according to the decisions of God, they have a right to know. They have a right to know. Hell and heaven are going to be places where everybody's going to know that. Who is this God? But in this life, we're responsible to communicate it to him by the way that we live, by the way that we serve, by the testimony that we, that we present. In order to know him, though, we have to accept him as he describes himself. Again, Hebrews 11, just underscoring this. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. I can't write my mind around it. I can't explain it fully. It doesn't make sense, math or any other way necessarily. But I believe that he is. That he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So incredibly important that we approach him that way. We never are able to get around faith ever, trust him ever. But in order to know him, we have to apply ourselves completely to him. Heart, soul, mind, spirit, our energy applied to him. And then when we do, oh wow, does he ever want us to know him? Look at all he's done for us. Does he ever want us to experience him? He's paid all these price just so that we could be with him in heaven. We're not going to make heaven better. Heaven already is better. But, but he wants us there. He wants us there, and he wants us here to know who he is. And that's our job. Know him, communicate him to the world. I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes with me as we think about what God has taught us today. God, we're so grateful that you reveal yourself to us. Forgive us, God, where we're trying to make you fit into some kind of box that we've created, some kind of... We exalt our own intelligence... We exalt the, the uh, comprehension of humanity when, in fact, uh, it's extremely limited, minuscule. We're trying to fit the infinite God into a finite box, and it just simply doesn't work. It doesn't. We're going to have to just simply step outside that box and say, God, we believe you are who you are as you present yourself. We trust you. We believe that as you're willing and as you so desire, you'll present more and more of yourself, and we're going to follow you and be obedient to you, though, today because you're the king. We're your servants. We're your bond slaves. We do what you called us to do. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for the freedom of being able to know you and um, loved by you and love you back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptistchurch.org.